Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Shalom, hope all is well. Bezat Hashem. We're going to be reviewing the Gemara and Masechet Sanhedrin that we learned this past week. Sat Hashem, we're going to start the review from Dalid Amud Aleph, top of the page, and we will learn Dalid Hey and Vav, uh, finishing off Zion Amud Aleph towards the top of the page. We're going to have six sections in today's review, Zat Hashem, and as we get started, let's just remember we're learning a zechut. It should be a merit for Yaakov Ben Dina. He should be able to experience a quick, speedy recovery, Rufuas Shleima, quickly soon in our days. The Gemara we're going to pick up with Andal Ramad Aleph is actually in the middle of a discussion. So let's just remember where we're picking up with so that we're all on the same page. The Gemara here is discussing a machloket, Rebbe and the Rabbanan. We had a brayta towards the bottom of Gimel Amud Bet. How many judges are needed for monetary cases? The Tanakama or the Rabbanan say three and Rebbe says five. So... The Gemara went through two attempted answers to resolve what the Machloket was based on, and then it gave a third answer, which was, uh, sorry, a second answer, excuse me, a second answer, which we left off with last week, the bottom of Gimel Amud Bet, the top of uh, Dalad Amud Aleph, and this second answer to explain the Machloket was that it's actually contingent on a drasha. The Pasuk says, in regards to monetary cases, it's actually written in the parasha of Shomrim, Sher Yarshi'un Elohim. The word Yarshi'un, if you follow the Mikra, the way it's pronounced, which is what Rebbe does, it's plural. And then it would say, just as Yarshi'un is plural, Elohim is plural. And then we compare one Elohim to the other, which would give you a total of four. Four, you can have a court case of four, so therefore you have to tack on another one, which is why you have five. However, the Rabbanan follow Yesh Em Lemesoret. You follow traditionally the way that it is written, and there's no Vav in the Torah. Yarshi'un is written without a Vav, so it could be read Yarshi'an. Based on that, Yesh Em Lemesoret, you'd say actually the Elohim that's connected to Yarshi'an is one. The Elohim before is one, which is a total of two, plus one more is going to be a total of three. This was the second way to understand the Machloket Rebbe and the Rabbanan. And what we're picking up with Andalad and with Aleph now, Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Yosef adds on to this, uh, this explanation of Rebbe and the Rabbanan with four more Tanaim that seem to hold of this principle of Yesh Em Lemikra. And at this point, we're going to say, really, this is indeed a Machloket about Yesh Em Lemikra or Misoret. So let's see. Amr Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Yosef, top line Andalad and with Aleph. Amr Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Yosef, Amr Rabbi Yochanan. Rebbe, one. Rabbi Yehuda ben Roetz, two. Ubed Shammai, three. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Akiva, five Tanaim, Kul Uz, Lehu, they all hold Yeshem Lemikra. That the way we expound verses is how it's pronounced, how it's read, and not the way it could be read based on the way it's written. So let's see. Rabbi Hadamaran. Rabbi, as you just explained in the second answer, is that it says Yarshi'un, even though it's written without a vav, you read it plural, making Elohim plural, two plus two is four making there be a total of five judges in civil cases. Rabbi Yudah ben Roet, Titania. Now, what is the shita of Rabbi Yudah ben Roet that holds yesh em lemikra? Titania, as the Braita teaches us, Sha'alu talmidim et Rabbi Yudah ben Roet. The students asked Rabbi Yudah ben Roet. Ekra ani shiv'im. The pasuk tells us by a woman who just gave birth that she's Tmeyah for Shvu'ayim, for two weeks, 14 days. But I could read it Shiv'im, because it doesn't say, there's no Vav there that clearly makes it Shvu'ayim. So maybe she should be Tmeyah for 70 days. Yochel Teheyoleret Mekeva Tmeyah Shiv'im, maybe a woman who gave birth to a girl is Tmeyah for 70 days. So Marlahan, Rabbi Rabban Roetz responded, there's a comparison. We have the days that are considered Yemei Tum'ah, and there's the days that follow that are considered the days of Tara by a male, meaning when she gives birth to a male, which we know is 7 plus 
And we know there's also the days of, of Tuma and Tara regarding giving birth to a girl. Now, the, the days of, of Tara in a Keva is 66. But just as when it comes to the days of Tara of having a male child, which is 33. Bin Keva Kiflayim, when she gives birth to a girl, it's double the days of Tara that follow, which is 66. So too, regarding the days of Tum'ah, the initial stage of Tum'ah of a male, Bin Keva Kiflayim, it should be double regarding whatever it is in a female. Meaning that since the Zachar, she has seven days, as we know the Torah says clearly, she's Tmeya. So we could assume that it's not Shiv'im, but rather it's Shvu'ayim, that it's 14, which is double the days of Tumah of the situation when she has a boy. But Achar when the students left, Yatsau Machzirach this Rabbi Yudah ben Ro'et ran after them. Amar and he said to them, You don't have to come on to this type of an explanation. It's not necessary. Because the Pasuk says, Shvu'ayim Karinan. It's red Shvu'ayim V'yesh Em Lemikra. And we have the capacity to darshan. We expound verses based on the way it's read, not on the way it's written. So we see that Rabbi Dab ben Ro'etz was comfortable saying, Yesh Em Lemikra. It says, it might be red Shiv'im. It could be red. But the way we read it traditionally is Shvu'ayim. Even though it's written in a way that could be read Shiv'im, you disregard it because Yesh Em Lemikra. So says Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Yosef, this is the second opinion who holds of the position of Yesh Em Lemikra. Bet Shammai, now where do we find Bet Shammai hold Yesh Em Lemikra? It's a Mishnah in Mesechet Pesachim. The Mishnah says like this, we know that there's different types of korbanot and the blood is sprinkled, as we'll see, some types of korbanot, let's say, um, we said, Ola, Shlamim, Asham, those are sprinkled below the red line. And also, these korbanot, uh, there's two applications in the corners that are four because it separates in the corners. As opposed to the korban chatat, it's sprinkled above the, right, uh, the, the red line. <coughs> and there's actually four applications. So the Mishnah there says as follows, Beit Shammai Omrim, any blood that is sprinkled on the outer mizbeach, meaning the mizbeach that's in the, uh, the azara, the courtyard outside, so really, if you are supposed to put two applications, and instead, he did one application. Kiper, it's, it's sufficient. There's a kapara that's received. Like the Pasuk tells us, It says, the blood of your offerings he shall pour. And that's a singular language. So that implies that even if you just did one and you were supposed to do two, it's still sufficient. But regarding the korban chatat, where he's supposed to do four applications of blood, if he did two applications, that would be yotze, you get a kapara. Say, more leniently, even regarding the chatat, if he did one application, it's also sufficient. And Ravuna said, why does Beit Shammai say you need two applications? In order to be Yotze, the Zrikat Adam, the sprinkling of the blood of a chatat, again, the chatat, you're supposed to do four. Why does he say, Beit Shammai say two is sufficient? Because the Pasuk says, Karnot, Karnot, Karnot. It says the word Karnot, three times in regards to sprinkling the blood of the korban chatat. Karnot are the corners, the horns, literally, of the mizbeach, the corners. And since Beit Shammai hold yesh, yesh em lemikras, we're going to assume now, so they're red, they're red plural, and therefore that would be a total of six applications. Harekan shish, six. So what is the six used for? Arba mitzvah. four of them are used to teach us that lechatchili you're supposed to do four. Vishtayim lakev, but two are there to teach us that as long as you did two, v'diavad yur yotzei. Ubeitelel, omrim beitelel, say karnot, karnat, karnat. Since they hold yesh em lemasoret, and there's no vav in the latter two examples, so therefore there's actually a total of four. Harekan arba. So the total of four tells you, gimel mitzvah, that in order to be yotzei lechatchila, to be ideally yotzei, you should do three more, meaning three in addition to the one, which is a total of four applications. But the one of them that's there is to teach us that as long as you did one application, you're yotze. Asks the Gemara, but maybe I'll say that since you need all four to teach us the Chathile, you need to do four applications, so maybe you don't even need to do any to be yotze. So the Gemara answers, It's impossible that you can't have an atonement without any sort of an application. And since the Rikat Adam, the sprinkling of the blood, creates the atonement, therefore that's obviously not a logical conclusion. 
But the bottom line is, you've shown that Beit Shammai holds Yesh Emlem Ikra. Continues the Gemara, fourth Tana. Rabbi Shimon de Tanya, where do we find Rabbi Shimon holds Yesh Emlem Ikra? As the Brayta teaches, this is the Brayta in Mesechet Sukkah. Shtayim gil chatan mishlishit afilu tefach. The Tanakhama says, two walls of a Sukkah have to be full length, seven tefachim, and the third could be even just one tefach. Rabbi Shimon or Rabbi Shimon says, Shalosh Kilchatan, Beruviit Afilu Tefach. Rabbi Shimon says, three of them could be a full length, and the fourth could be even a Tefach. What's the basis of debate? Rabbanan Svira, the Rabbanan hold, Yesh Em Lemesoret, that you expound the verses as they're read and not written. Rabbi Shimon Savar Yesh Em Lemikra, and Rabbi Shimon holds you, you expound it as it's read. Rabbanan Savar Yesh Em Lemesoret, the Rabbanan say as follows. Basukot, Basukot, Basukot. So it says the word three times. Two of them are without a Vav, which would be singular. Could be read Basukat. And the third is with a Vav, which would mean Harekan Arba. You have a total of four, which would imply you need four walls for a Sukkah. But Dal Chad Kra One is removed, like we learned earlier, you can't expound the initial one, Pashulu Tlat. So therefore you're left with three. That teaches us that the third wall doesn't have to be a full third wall, but it could be even a tefach. Thus, you're left with two and a tefach. Rabbi Shimon Shimon holds basukot, basukot, basukot. He expounds lemikra, and therefore they're read plurally, so that's actually a total of six. That's six. Dal chad remove one for itself. You can't expound the first one. Pashulahu arba. So you're left with the last two words, which is four. And the Allah Moshe Misinai teaches us that the last wall is not four total, but it's three plus a tefach. That was the fourth example of Yeshem the Mikra. And the fifth, Rabbi Akiva de Tanya, as the Braitati, Rabbi Akiva Omer, Minayin Lerviit Dam, Shayatza Mishne Meitim. We know what the Allah is if you have a Raviit of blood, a Raviit alug a certain amount of volume of blood of a, of a dead body that's under an oelamet, under some sort of an enclosure, and somebody's in there, he's tameh. Rabbi Akiva adds on to that. He says, even if it emerges from two different dead bodies and it combines to, forms a, to form a revi'it, shemetameh ve'oel would cause contamination in an enclosure. Shemetameh, like it says, akol nafshot met lo yavo. So nafshot is plural, and the way he expounds it is, shte nefashot v'shior echad. Even if there's two bodies that produce one measure of a revi'it, that would be enough to cause tum'ah ve'ohel. Rabbanan, the Rabbanan say it's without a vav, so nafshat ktiv, therefore it could be read as a singular, and therefore there's no drashat to be made, only one body that produces a revi'id, not two. Matkifla, Ravachabar Yaakov, Ravachabar Yaakov refutes this entire approach because he says, Is there anyone who disagrees? All the opinions that you're saying would disagree, like Beit for example, the Rabbanan we just said, all these shitot. Is there anyone who doesn't hold Yeshem Lemikra? But we know the Brayta teaches the source that you're not allowed to eat meat, meat, milk and meat together. The Brayta says, It says, You shall not cook. It says, You shall not cook um, uh, meat in, it, in, in the mother's milk. Kid and its mother's milk. Now, you might think that it means not to cook meat in chelev. Chelev is fat. Maybe it's not milk altogether. Turn to But we say no, because yesh em lemikra. The way we know to traditionally read it is bachalev, not bachelev. And therefore, says the Gemara, that's, a, that's the source that you're not allowed to cook and eat milk and meat together. But clearly you see everybody agrees to Yeshem Lemikra. So you can't explain that the Machloket, Rebbe and the Rabbanan and all these subsequent debates is based on this Machloket because clearly everyone agrees Yeshem Lemikra. Ella, so the Gemara says a third way to explain the Machloket, Rebbe and the Rabbanan. Everybody agrees. And the debate, Rebbe and the Rabbanan, is as follows. Rebbe Savar Yarshi'un Elohim. That the way you read the verse is like this. It says that the judges shall make guilty. Yarshi'un Elohim. Now what is that referring to? Achrini. It means there's another two that shall make guilty. Which means the first two in the verse, Elohim, is two based on the fact that the last Elohim is two which is based on Yerushion being plural. So 2 plus 2 is 4, which means you'd have a total of 5 because you can't have an odd and an even number of judges. Rabbanan Savri and the Rabbanan hold Yarshion Deha'ech Vahai. When it says Yarshion, it means that one and this one, which means if you add one, the first Elohim, with the second Elohim, so Yarshion, they together are two, and they shall indict a person, make him guilty. But that means, not two, but three really, that's not going to be a total of five. But they both agree, Yesh Em Lemikra. Let's continue now in these different opinions. There's no question, because the way Shavu Ayim is pronounced, actually, everybody agrees, that's how you expound it, and a woman is Tmeya for 14 days, her, her, <coughs> you made Tumah after giving birth to a girl. 
Oh, but now Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai. Beit Hillel said that the way you read the verses before Karnot, it seems to be that it refers to four, which seems to be Yeshem Lemasoret. So how do we explain Beit Hillel also holds Yeshem Lemikra? Beit Hillel, the Tanya, like the Bright Dot teaches, he has an alternative source. Vikiper, Vikiper, Vikiper. It says three times that there's an atonement had for a Korban Chatat. Mipnea Din. Now, this is necessary. We'll see what, what this means in a moment, but it's necessary to teach us this uh, three times because of a logical debate. Vahalo dinhu, because logically one could argue and say the following. Ne'emar damim lemata ve'emar damim lemala. It says damim below when it's referring to korban chatat. One second. Meaning, the, in the Psukim we find, sorry about that, in the Psukim we find that the word below, meaning when you sprinkle the blood below the Chutasikra, below the red line, for those korbanot, uh, it uses the word damim, blood. And we know that those korbanot, actually as we're about to see, but the avad at least, if you sprinkle one time, you're yotze. And it also says the word damim regarding a korban chatat, which is sprinkled above the chuta sikra. Just as the bloods that are sprinkled below the chuta sikra, meaning the other korbanot, shlamim, asham, those other korbanot, shenatnam, matana achat kiper, one sprinkling is sufficient, bidiyavad, aftamim amurim lemala, shenatnam, matana achat kiper. So too, regarding the bloods that are sprinkled above, i.e. korban chatat, maybe one should be sufficient, and you shouldn't need extra jashot, just based on a comparison, it should be sufficient. Oh, kalech lederech zo. Oh, I'll tell you why that you need v'kiper v'kiper. Because there's a different argument that could be made. Ne'emar damim b'chutz, v'ne'emar damim b'fnim. It says that the word damim, regarding korbanot that are on the chatat that are sprinkled in the outer mizbeach, and it also says regarding those that are sprinkled in the inner mizbeach, which are inside of the mishkan, or the Beit HaMikdash, just as the bloods of the chataot that are sprinkled inside, if you miss one of the four, you're not yotzeh, so maybe the chataot that are sprinkled outside, which are the regular ones we're talking about, maybe you shouldn't be yotzeh. So the Gebraita continues, So let's analyze which one it's more comparable to, meaning the regular chatat that's brought outside. So one could argue and say you should compare the korbanot that are brought in the outer mizbech to those that are brought in the outer mizbech. And just as you'd be say sprinkling one time this korbanot like the shlamim that are sprinkled below the red line outside, so with a chatat that's sprinkled above the red line should also be say So you shouldn't need special verses. Or maybe look at it the other way. Maybe you should expound the chatat and four corners, meaning where it requires four sprinklings, lechatchila at least, from the other chatat that requires four sprinklings, i.e. the inner one. And then you should say, just as the inner one requires four, even with the avad to be yotze, so to the outer korban chatat you require four sprinklings. And don't compare it to the shlamim, which is not a chatat and doesn't have four sprinklings. Therefore the Brayta concludes, v'kiper, v'kiper, v'kiper. Because of this logical debate, you need these drashot. Now, how, does, how do we deduce from this, according to Beit Hillel, one sprinkling is sufficient for the chatat? Like this. Kiper, when it comes to the chatat, atonement is felt. Even if you don't do four and you only do three. And the next kiper is kiper, even if you only had two. And the, the final kiper, the third, kiper, even if there was only one. So we've shown how the third debate, Rebbeit Shammai and Beit Hillel, is not contingent on Yeshem Lemekra Mesoret, but they both agree Mesoret. Beit Hillel has alternative psukim that tell us one sprinkle will be sufficient for a korban chatat. Let's move on to the fourth debate now. Rabbi Shimon and Rabbanan Ba'apligi. So Rabbi Shimon and the Rabbanan, they were arguing about how many walls you need for a sukkah. Two and a tefach or three and a tefach? So how would we explain it? Like this. Rabbi Shimon Savar, 
Rabbi Shimon holds you don't need to use one of those sukkot to teach us the concept of having a roof of the schach. So therefore they're all there as we explained and you have three plus a tefach because the Lachala Moshe Sinai says the fourth could be a tefach. Say, you need to use one of those words, Sukkot, for the fact that you, can, you need Tzchach. And therefore you only have three in total for the walls, which is two and even a Tefach. And finally, Rabbi Akiva of Rabbanan Ba'apligi. What is the debate, Rabbi Akiva the Rabbanan, regarding if two bodies produce a Revi'it, if it, if it creates contamination by oil or not? So Rabbi Akiva, Savar Nafshot Tartimash. Rabbi Akiva says Nafshot implies two bodies, meaning if you have two bodies, they produce Rabbi of Dam. So then that halacha is it could, it could contaminate. For Rabbanan, Savar, the Rabbanan disagree. They say Nafshot Alma Mashma, it doesn't mean two bodies, it just means whenever there are bodies, it's talking about in general, then there could be contamination, but it would have to be a Rabbi of blood from one body, as we explained before. So bottom line is, we've shown in this third attempted answer is everyone really agrees yeshem lemikra. And as we went through each one, each debate is explained within that position. Asks the Gemara, does everybody really hold yeshem lemikra? Tanya, we have a bright that teaches like this. Regarding tefillin shel rosh. We know that tefillin shel rosh have <clears throat> um, four different sections where the parshiot would go into. And the psukim say, letotafot, letotafot, letotafot. So two times it's without a vav, and one time it's with a vav. Harekan arba, so Bishmal says, this is the source that you have four sections because one is plural and two are singular. Now clearly, this is using the svara, or the, the way to darshan of yesh em lemasoret, because if you say lemikra, so then they're all read plural. So it must be the fact you read the first two letotet, letot, letotafot, but letotefet, which is singular, implies he darshins yeshem lemasorat. Rabbi Akiva Omer, not tzarich. You don't need those drashot, he says, because tat bekafti ishtayim, pat ba'afriki ishtayim. So the word tat and pat are, are uh, two in these different languages, and therefore you know that there's four. But the bottom line is we see clearly Rabbi Yishmael holds yeshem lemasorat. Ela the Gemara tries again, really back to the second answer. The Olam Pligi, really they do debate Yeshem Lemekrav, Yeshem Lemesoret. Vahani Miliki Pligi, Echadishani Krami Mesoret. When is there a debate if the way it's read and the way it's written are distinct from each other? Avalhai, Chalev, Vechelev, Techiadadi Ninu, but regarding Chalev and Chalev, it's written and read the same, so there Yeshem Lemekrav. Everybody would agree that Yeshem Lemekrav. Problem is, it says regarding the mitzvah of going to the Beit HaMikdash and also bring Korban Olah on the Regalim and the three uh, holidays, festivals. The Pasuk says, but it could be read, and really it's read and written the same, and yet we expound the Mesoret nonetheless. How do I know that? As the Brayta teaches in Mesechet Chagiga, Yochanan ben Davai Omer, Mishum Rav Yudah ben Teima, Hasuma ba'achat me'enav, if somebody's blind in one eye, Pator me'enav is exempt from going up to the Beit HaMikdash to be seen. Shene'a Malik, the Pasuk says, So we expound it as follows. Kederech shabal ir'ot, just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes to see you, kach ba'lera'ot, so too, he comes to be seen by you, i.e., which is the Mesoret actually, which is year eh, meaning you go to be, you go year eh. Kach ba ot, right, lera ot. So too, he comes to be seen, which is year eh, which is he sees, meaning the person who comes to see Hashem, i.e., Hashem is being seen by you. Ma ot just as Hashem comes to see with his two eyes, af lera ot so to the person who is seeing Hashem, needs to come with both eyes, which is an exemption for someone that's blind in one eye. But clearly you see, the Mesoret and the Mikra is the same, and we expound the Mesoret. Ela, so the Gemara says the fifth and final explanation, Amar Ravach, Breder of Ika, Amar Kra. Really, we're going to say is, they, in general, there is a Machlok at Yeshem, Mikra, Mesoret, across the board, no question. However, how do we explain then the Isra Basar Bechalav? We know it's in milk and not fat. Lo Tevashel Gedi, because it says the word Bishul. It says Bishul. I mean, oh, Bishul is cooking in a liquid. Derech Bishul Asrat Torah. The Torah is prohibiting something that's cooking, and cooking in fat is not called cooking, but rather that would be called tigun. That would be called frying. So therefore, the fact that it says Bishul, we know it's milk and not uh, fat. But the point is, in general, there could be a debate, even where the words are, look and re are read and written the same, and we're going to explain the Machloket Rebbe and the Rabbanan, that it's Mesot Mikra Machloket, as well as those other places that we found the same 
related debates. Let's move on now to the second section. Tan Rabbanan. Says the Brayta. Dine Mamanot Bishlosha. So the Brayta says, L'chadchili, you should have three judges adjudicating cases of money. Turning to Hamud Aleph. V'im if there was a person who was known far and wide as a professional. Dan Afilo Yechidi. Now Rashi points out over here, we're not talking about... Um, one second. No, sorry, I forget what I just said. But if he's mumchel rabim, which we're going to see, it doesn't mean necessarily that he has smicha, but even if he's just a professional, he knows how to expound to darshan, he knows how to judge properly, excuse me, dan afilu yechidi, so then he could adjudicate cases of loans even as an individual. Amr of Nachman, of Nachman said, I, says Rav Nachman, was allowed to expound monetary cases, again referring to loans, as an individual. Rav Chia said also, I in Eretz Yisrael was allowed to expound monetary cases, again loans, as an individual. The Gemara wonders. When Rav Chia and Rav Nachman were saying, I, as an example, is it because they had studied and they also had the intellect to logically calculate cases, but also they had permission from the Nasi or the Reish Galuta, who was the head of their jurisdiction or of their, of their domain, that area. But if they would not have had permission, they would not be allowed to judge, and it wouldn't be sufficient. It wouldn't be an effective judgment. Oh, Dilmor, perhaps even if they don't ask permission, just having the mental acuity and study, they would be already allowed to judge as individuals. So Tashma, the Gemara tells us the source more brighta. This fellow, Marzutra Breder of Nachman, he adjudicated a case. He made a mistake. If the litigants accepted whatever the outcome was, then you would not be responsible to pay for the loss that you made, the mistake that you made. But if not, you would have to pay. So what do we see clearly? That even if they're not granted permission, it still would be a binding uh, a case because this fellow, Marzut Rebbeidur of Nachman, had not received permission because had he received permission from the Nasir, the Reish Galuta, he would be exempt. So the fact that it's effective, but he has to pay back, that shows us that they could still uh, judge if they want to, but again, they wouldn't be backed up. They wouldn't have immunity if they make a mistake. Amar Rav. Rav says, He gives good advice. He says, if somebody wants to judge, based on what we just said, he wants to be exempt if he makes a mistake, even though you don't need to, but just ask permission. And Shmuel said the same thing. Have permission from the head of the uh, exilarch, meaning the head of the rabbi who was the head of the Jews in Bavel, because then you'll have immunity. Now the Gemara explains like this. Pshita, it's obvious. If somebody gets a uh, reshut to judge in Bavel, any judges in Bavel, or me'atam la'atam, if he has permission to judge in Eretz Yisrael from the Nasi, any judges there, and similarly, if he has permission to adjudicate in Bavel, any judges in Eretz Yisrael, mahani, that would be effective. The power of permission to judge in Bavel it extends also to Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because in Bavel, the Jews and the permission of the leadership from Shevet Yehuda, the Reish Galuta, is called the scepter, and there in Eretz Yisrael, it's called Mechokek, which is the legislator, which is a lesser significance in terms of judgment. Kedetanya, like the Brayta teaches, it says regarding the Bracha of Yehuda at the end of Moshe Rabbeinu's life, uh, sorry, Yaakov Avinu's life, Lo Yasser Shevet Mehuda, the scepter shall never leave Yehuda, Eilu Rashi Galuyot Shebebavel, Sherodineti Yisrael Bashevet, refers to the head of the Jews, the Reish Galuta and Bavel, that would rule the Jewish people with a scepter. And the legislator from between his legs of Yehudah, the grandchildren of Bavel who taught Torah in public in Eretz Yisrael. But the point is, that's more significant. But the question we have is, what if someone has permission to, uh, to judge from Eretz Yisrael, does it extend also to Bavel? That he'll be immune if he makes a mistake. So Tashma, the Gemara tells us a story which we'll elaborate on turning to the next page, God willing. The Rabbi Barchana Dandina, we know Rabbi Barchana <coughs> adjudicated cases in Bavel, and he had received smicha from, we'll see later, Rebbe 
in Eretz Yisrael, Vitai made a mistake. He went in front of Rabbi Chiyah. Amar Lehi said, If the people, the litigants, accepted the outcome beforehand, you wouldn't be responsible. But if they don't, you have to go and pay. So you see clearly, Rabbi Barchana had permission from the Nasi in Eretz Yisrael from Rabbi. So it didn't cover him because he was now in Bavel. That's a good proof that the, the immunity does not extend from Eretz Yisrael to Bavel. Asks the Gemara, "Velo Mahani, is it not effective?" Vaharaba Barav Huna, he have a mincy vahadei tveresh galuta. Rabba Barav Huna, who had received uh, he, uh, the the permission to judge from the Nasi in Eretz Yisrael, when he would argue with the Reish Galuta in Bavel, Amarli would say, "Lav mi naichu nakitna reshuta." I don't need your your permission. Nakitna reshuta me abamari. I have permission from my father, my master. Vabamari me Rav, my father, my master from Rav. Verav me Rabbi Chia. Rav had permission from Rabbi Chia. Rabbi Chia me Rabbi, and Rabbi Chia had permission from Rabbi. So you see clearly that the the permission granted in Eretz Yisrael does cover in Bavel. He was trying to stop the arguments of the rabbis in Bavel with uh, words in general, but really it wouldn't cover. Actually, this rabbi Barakuna had permission also to judge in Bavel from the from Reish Galuta. He was just trying to show that he didn't need his permission. Asks the Gemara, but if it's really not effective, so Rabbi Barchana Lamali, as we'll see later, why did Rabbi Barchana even ask permission to judge in Bavel from Eretz Yisrael if it's not going to help him? So the Gemara answers, because there's cities that are on the border of Bavel. Sorry, there are cities of Bavel that are on the border of Eretz Yisrael. So for those cities, he actually could adjudicate and be immune if he makes a mistake, because those are deemed part of Eretz Yisrael. My Rishuta. So the Gemara tells us what was the permission that he had asked to be uh, allowed to judge. What is the story here? It's Rabbi Barchana. The Gemara answers, Ki hava nachit, Rabbi Barchana lebavel. Rabbi Barchana wanted to go down to Bavel from Eretz Yisrael. So Amr le Rabbi Chia le Rabbi. Rabbi Chia, who we'll see is his uncle, said to Rabbi, who was the Nasi, Ben Achi yored lebavel, the son of my brother is going to Bavel. Chana was his brother. And he said, the son of my brother, my nephew, Rabbi Barchana is going to Bavel. Yore. So he asked Rebbe, could he adjudicate uh, cases of Isur Vahetar, prohibitory law? And Rebbe said, Yore, he could. Yadin, could he adjudicate cases of money? Yadin, he could. Yatir Bechorot, could he permit a Bechor, a firstborn, by saying that there's a permanent blemish on it? Yatir, Rebbe said, he could. Similarly, when Rav, who was another nephew of this Rabbi Chia, wanted to go down to Bavel, again, the son of my sister, he says now, wants to go down to Bavel. Could he adjudicate prohibitory law? He said he could. Yadin, could he adjudicate monetary cases? Yadin, he could. Yatir Bechorot, but could he permit Bechorot by firstborn animals by seeing their blemishes? Al Yatir. So on this, Rabbi said he cannot. So the Gemara wonders, Why is it that Rabbi Chia called Rabba Barchana, the son of my brother, and Rav, the son of my sister? Maybe you'll just say that was the reality. The problem is, we know that that's not true, because Mar says, Evo, Vechana, Vishilo, Marta, Rabbi Chia, these five men, Kulu b'nei Abba bar'acha karsela mi kafri havu. They were all sons of Abba bar'acha karsela from kafri. So the problem is, you see, we know Chana was one brother and Rav was his son. Eva was the father of Rav. So clearly, it was the son of Rabbi Chia's brother, not the son of his sisters. The Gemara answers two terutzim. First answer, the Gemara says, is Rav bar'ach v'dahava bar'achte. Rav was the son of Rabbi Chia's brother as well as the son of his sister. So as we explained, is that this fellow, Abba Bar'acha Karsila, he had had a first marriage and his wife passed away, which from that marriage he had had uh, a son. Um, he had had a son. One second. Sorry, sorry, right. This Ach Abba Bar Acha Karsila, he had two marriages, and then out of the first the, the, the first marriage that he had, there was born a son which was um, which was Evo. He married a woman who 
he, right, he married a woman who already had a daughter from a previous marriage, and then his son Evo married that woman, and they produced Rav, meaning they were not related. That's the point. So the point is, is that actually, and, and Rabbi Chia was born of that second union also, Lechara. So the point is, the first answer the Gemara is saying is, actually Rav was a product of both the, the brother and sister, and therefore it was appropriate to say the son of my sister about Rav, but Rabba Barchana Bar Achva Delav Bar as opposed to Rabba Barchana was only the son of his brother, not the son of his sister. Alternatively, you could say a second answer, turn it to Hamud Bet, Al Shem Chochmato. That really, he called Rav the son of my sister based on Rav's great Chochmah. Like it says in Mishle, you are my sister. So this was a way to show the greatness of Rav. Asks the Gemara, Rebbe wouldn't give permission for Rav to permit Bechorot. My time, what's the reason? Maybe because he wasn't so intelligent. The problem is, he said Rav was extremely intelligent. Maybe he wasn't proficient in the blemishes. The problem is, Rav himself says, Rav said for eight 18 months he went to study by the farmers to know which mumin were permanent and which were not. So clearly he was proficient. Ella, so answer number one, the Gemara says, Lechalek lo kavod Rabbi Barchana. He wanted, Rebbe wanted to give honor to Rabbi Barchana. Meaning to say is if everyone saw that even Rav didn't get authority to judge the cases of uh, blemishes on firstborn animals, and Rabbi Barchana did, so then they would give him more kavod. Rabbi Barchana. alternatively, Mishum ha'gufei, the, the it is actually because of his proficiency that Re- Rebbe didn't want to give him authority to adjudicate those things. Because Rav was so proficient in mumin, he would permit certain blemishes that others wouldn't have the insight to know is a distinct mum that is permitted. And then people would end up saying, like a similar case Rav permitted, and then he would end up permitting, other people would end up permitting passing blemishes, which would be problematic. So because of Rebbe's tremendous level of bikiyut, of, of clarity on this issue, therefore Rebbe wouldn't actually give him smicha and that, give him authority to adjudicate those cases. Now, the Gemara refers back and says by both of them, Rav and Rabbi Barchana, Rebbe Chia asked Reb, Rav, uh, sorry, Rebbe Chia asked Rebbe, Rav and Reb, and, and Rav Barchana, Rebbe Chia asked Rebbe, Yore, and, and Rebbe said Yore. Could they judge a prohibitory law? And he said, yes, they could. So the Gemara doesn't understand why he needed to ask permission. Igamir, if they know Isser Vahetar, they know these laws. So Rishuta why did he need to ask permission for that? So the Gemara answers, because of a story, whereas we'll see a student didn't say things clearly, so therefore when giving permission to do this, the Rebbe would make sure the students are clear. The Tanya's Debraita illustrates Pamachat one time, Allah Rebbe Lamakomechat, Rebbe went to a certain place. And he saw people mixing dough in vessels that were tameh. Now this would naturally cause tum'ah to the dough because water was the thing that had made the dough wet, making it susceptible to tum'ah, and the vessels were tameh. Amar lahem, so Rebbe said to them, I know in this place they're makbid, that even chulin, unconsecrated uh, dough, shouldn't become Tameh. Why are you mixing the dough when the vessels are Tameh? Amrlo, they said back, Talmud Echad Balakan, one student came here, Swamp water does not make dough susceptible to Tum'ah. But the problem is, That student had really said the produce, the liquid of eggs, doesn't make dough susceptible to Tumah. And they thought, that he had said swamp water. And they were supported in their mistake by a Mishnah, they also made a mistake in. Because the Mishnah there says, the waters that come from these two streams of water, they're not allowed to be used for Paraduma because they're stagnant waters and you need flowing waters. Mayim Chaim. So the inusav, or they assumed, just as by korban paraduma, you're not allowed to use these waters. Obviously, it's not considered water, and it won't make something susceptible to tumah. But that's not true. Regarding paraduma, it has to be waters that are flowing, and that's stagnant. But regarding making something susceptible to tumah, any sort of water will make it susceptible, and therefore, even if it's stagnant, it will also be susceptible and they made a mistake both in their understanding of that student and in the Mishnah. 
So Tana, Ba'ota Shah, the Brayta teaches at that time, Gazru, they made a decree, the Chachamim made a decree, Talmud al-Yoreh, that a student cannot paskin, Elohim ke'en otel reshut me'rabo, in prohibitory law, unless he asks permission, and his Rebbe will make sure that he's clear about his, uh, his psak, so that people don't make mistakes and have the wrong halacha. A related story. Tanchum braid the Rebbe Ami Ikla Khatar. This Tanchum, the son of Rabbi Ami, went to Khatar. Darashlu, he made a psak there. He said as follows Mutter lil tot chitin be pesach. You're allowed to soak uh, wheat on pesach when you're going to grind it right after because it's not going to become an issue of chametz. Amrulos, the people there said, Lav Rabbi Mani de Mitzur Ikahacha. Is there not a fellow Rabbi Mani from Tzur in this area? The Tanya, we know that the Brayta teaches, Talmud al Yor al Makom Rabbo. A student's not allowed to paskin al in the place of his Rebbe. It's disrespectful. Unless he's three parsa away, as we learn, was the Machane Yisrael in the Midbar, and everybody went to Moshe Rabbeinu. So Amar Leis, this Rabbi Tanchum said, Amar Leis said back to them, Lava Datai, I didn't realize. The final story. Rabbi Chia saw a certain person who was standing in the cemetery. Amar Leis, Rabbi Chia said to him, Are you not the son of a Kohen? Amar Leis, he said back, What happened was, my father is a Kohen, but he went and married a Grusha, a divorced woman, making me a Chalal, and therefore I'm not Asur in being in a Beit HaKfarot. But the point is, Rabbi Chia was able to, or initially went ahead and tried to stop him from being in the Beit HaKfarot, even though that seems to be paskining in the place of Rebbe, nonetheless he was allowed to, to prevent people from doing Yisurim. Turned out it wasn't an issue though. Moving on, Pshita, the Gemara says it's obvious, Lepalga, that an authorization in half, we know it's effective, like Rebbe gave Rav permission in one area, not in another, which was to permit Bechorot. But what about if it's Al-Tanai? What if he says, the Rebbe wants to give author- authorization to judge for, for a short amount of time, for a certain amount of time. So Tashma, the Gemara says, let's learn a source from a Brayta, the Amar Lei, Rav Yochanan, the Rav Shemen, Rav Yochanan said to Rav Shemen, you're going to Bavel, when you come back to Eretz Yisroel, until then you'll have permission to adjudicate. So you see, he gave him permission for a short amount of time that is allowed. Moving on to the third section of the day now, Gufa. Amar Shmo, we said this earlier, if two people adjudicate a case of loans, it's effective. But it's called an insolent court. Rav Nachman was saying over this teaching of Shmuel, because the Tosefta says as follows. If you have two people who say, sorry, it's a Mishnah later, excuse me, it's a Mishnah. Even if two people out of the three in a monetary case, they say the person's innocent, or two people say guilty, and one says, I don't know, Yosifu you have to add on another one to f- f- finalize the case. But says, Why is it not sufficient if two are enough? Why do you need to add on a third one? It must be two is not sufficient. When they initially sat down, uh, to judge with three, you need to finish off with three. But when they initially sit down to judge with two, it's considered insolent, but it's nonetheless effective. Another question. Rabbi Shem Gamil Omer, this is a Tosef. Rabbi Gamil says, Adin Bishlosha, judgment, that generally has to be done with three people. Upshara and compromises, Bishnaim could be done with two. And in this way, compromise is more, has a, a greater power than judgment. When two people judge a case, so the litigants can back out against them because it's not effective. But if two people made a, a compromise between the other litigants, the, the two litigants, so the litigants are not allowed to retract. But what you see clearly is, Rav Gamil says, a judgment is not meted out by two. Kashan Shmuel. Turning to Vavamur Aleph. Maybe you'll say, granted, it's a machloket tanaim, the Rabbanan argued with Shemigamil, and Shmuel follows the Rabbanan. Shemigamil holds that two is not sufficient, the Rabbanan holds it is, but the Avad, and Shmuel follows the Rabbanan. The problem is, we had this earlier in the Masech, and Bet and Bet, Rabbi Avau said, that if two people adjudicate a case, it's not effective according to everyone, regardless of their position in regards to Psharav of uh, compromise. 
So the Gemara answers, Gavra, Gavra Karamit. You can't ask a question of man on a man. Meaning to say is, comes out, it's a machloket amorayim. According to Shmuel, there is a machloket Rabbanan or Shemuel Gamel, and they follow the Rabbanan. Two would be sufficient. According to Rabbi Yavo, there's no such debate, and therefore two people would not be sufficient according to all Tanaim. Gufa, let's quote this and now discuss this. If two people adjudicate a monetary case, says it's not effective. Is that true? But the kasha is, there's a Mishnah Mesechet Bechorot that says, the Mishnah says there, an ordinary judge, he judged as an individual case, and he made innocent the guilty or guilty the innocent, which means he judged wrong. Or he made pure, which was tameh, which was tahor, or tahor, which was tameh. And as Rashi explains, he did some sort of a physical action in terms of adjudicating his case, meaning, let's say he said, you're chayav money to him, he took the money and gave it to the other fellow. Masha Sasoi, the Mishnah Bechorot says, it's effective. And this judge is responsible to pay from his house. So what do you see clearly? You see that even one judge, it would be considered set in stone, it's effective. Now granted, he has to pay back, but the bottom line is, it is effective. Or Yavo just said, if one person, if two people judge, it's not effective. What happened was, is that the litigants accepted him on them to adjudicate, and that's why it would be effective. Asks the Gemara, but if that's true, why is he responsible then to pay from his house? He should be off the hook. The Gemara answers the Amrule because the people will say to him, the litigants could say, Did you adjudicate based on the Torah? Meaning to say is, they'll say like this, Look, we asked you to judge for us and judge properly. You made a mistake. We can't undo what you've done, so therefore the fellow who received the money can keep it. But the fellow who was ripped off, he'll claim money from you because you didn't judge Alpi Torah. So what was the mistake here exactly? If the judge made a mistake in something that's in a Mishnah, a clear Mishnah, we know if somebody makes a mistake in a Mishnah, a judge makes such an error, the entire case is undone. So then we'd have to give back the money. The whole thing is undone. It must be the judge made a mistake in something that's a logical calculation. What is an example? There's some debate. It's not clear what the halacha is like one or the other. The sugin to alma, but the general judges in the world say, like one of them. And this judge went and he followed the other the other shita. That's considered And now what ends up happening, as Rashi explains, is the fellow who received money will say, look, we accepted you and I'm allowed to keep my money now. The fellow who was ripped off could say, we said you should judge us, and you didn't, therefore you have to pay me back. Says the Gemara Lema Kitanai, let's assume that this is a Machlok Kitanai, Shmuel Rabbi Yavo, if two is effective, because the Brayta says, that when it comes to pshara, making a compromise, you need three judges. And the chachamim say one is sufficient. So this would seem to be a machloket. That's the machloket tanaim. How many do you need for pshara? Rabbi Meir says three, chachamim say one. So Savru, in order to say that this is a sum machloket tanaim, the machloket Shmuel and Rabbi Avo is like this. Savru, they thought, everybody agrees as we're going to learn on the next Amud, uh, that Mishbaru Tzedakah compares Pshara, compromise, to judgment. So what's the machloket between Rameir and Rabbanan? Demar Savar, Rabbi Meir holds Din Bishlosha, that judgment is meted out with three people, and therefore Pshara is also with three people. That judgment is meted out with two people, and therefore you could also have one judge for pshara, it's sufficient as well. So it would come out then that Rabbi Meir would reflect the Amorah of Rabbi Avo, and the Chachamim would reflect Shmu. Good. So the Gemara says, No, that's not true. Everybody would agree you need three like Rabbi Avo. What is the machlog Rameir and the Chachamim? Demar Sav Rameir holds Makshinam Sharladin. We do compare compromise to judgment. So therefore you need three for compromise too. Umar Sav and the Chachamim, although Makshinam Sharladin, you don't compare them. And therefore, although Din requires three, Pshara only requires one. Says the Gemara, Lema Tlata Tanai Bipshara. So 
as we're continuing now to discuss the next section, Pshara. Let's assume now that when it comes to compromise, there's actually three positions. Demar Savar, Rabbi Meir holds Bishlashayini, three judges. Umar Savar, Rabbi Shumigamil, in the previous Braita, and the Tosef Tanhem would bet, would hold Bishnaim, you need two. Umar Savar, and the Chachamim, Obi Yachid, you only need one. Amar Rav Achabrit, Rav Ika, Vitim, Rav Yerim, Rav Shalmaya. He says that's not necessarily three opinions because Manda Amar Trey, according to Shimigamliel, Afilu Chadnami, even one would be sufficient as well. The only reason he says two, if you want two witnesses to testify about the outcome or the agreement of Pshara, so it's logical, it's a good idea then to have two witnesses adjudicating the Pshara so that there's two people to say that's what happened. Sorry, I skipped. Amar Ravashi continues the Gemara. Amar Ravashi. Ravashi continues, we deduce from Rabbi Meir's position, that when it comes to a compromise, there doesn't have to be a physical action of acquisition that's done. Because if you would need something, according to Rabbi Meir, why do you need three judges? You should be sufficient to have two judges and make a physical kinyan, because that certainly would be effective. But the Gemara says it must be the fact that you need three is because you don't need a kinyan, and therefore you need a chashivut, the significance of a beidin, which is why you need three, but you don't need a kinyan, v'haraya from a mayor, you don't need a kinyan when it comes to pshara. But the Gemara paskins, v'elchetah pshara tzricha kinyan, compromise does require a kinyan, um, and uh, you do have to do some sort of a, compromise, a, a kinyan when it comes to this type of arbitration. Now this is really moving on to the final section of the day over here. We're going to have four shitot regarding the idea of making pshara. Tan Rabbanan says the b'raita. So firstly, pshara requires three judges like Rabbi Meir. Turning to Vav Mubet. Nigmaradin, when the judgment has been done. Rashi learns that means, as we'll see in the bottom of Vav Mubet, that means when they've meted out the judgment. They say, you're innocent, you're guilty. So at that point, then you're not allowed to make a compromise anymore. The judges are prohibited to make a compromise after that point. Sarmash, Bankash, Siman. Now we already had the first opinion, which was, until that point you could make a compromise, but when Nigmaradin, when the verdict is meted out, you can no longer make a compromise. Now we have the th- second opinion in this Tosefta, which is, Rebbe Lazar, Benosha, Aglili, Omer, Asur, Lebtsoa, you're not allowed to make a compromise. Uh, from the time that the, ju- the litigants came in front of you seeking judgment. And if you make a compromise after that point, you're considered a sinner. And if you bless the person, the people who made this compromise, it's blaspheming Hashem. About this, the Pasuk tells us, someone that uh, makes a compromise and is blessed, it's considered blaspheming Hashem. It's as if to say, I know better than HaKadosh Baruch Hu because I'm not doing Din Torah, but I'm making a compromise based on my own logic. Don't be worried about the litigants. Let the ruling pierce the mountain, meaning let it be clear as is the Din Torah. The Pasuk says, Justice is for Hashem. Hashem's going to back you up. Like Moshe Rabbeinu used to do. He would also say, I'll meet it out as it's meant to be. But Aaron HaKohen, before they would come to the court, he would try to make a compromise. He'd try to make peace between people. The Pasuk says, In Malachi, talking about Kohanim, which is Aaron HaKohen, it says, The Torah of, of Emet was in, his ma- was in his mouth. There was no iniquity on his lips. He went with me in peace and straightness. He removed many from sin. Now, in tangentially, in the Tosefta, the Gemara gives a few more explanations of this verse that we explained before. Somebody stole a sa'av wheat and he ground it up. He baked it. He removed chala to give to the Kohen. How could he make a bracha on that? That's considered blaspheming Hashem. About this it says, Now in this context we're thinking he stole a thief. And he blesses, and it's Hashem, that's considered a blaspheme to Hashem. Rabbi Meir says a third idea. Meir Omer, that's referring to a particular character in history, Yehuda. Like the Pasuk tells us, said to his brothers regarding Yosef, what gain do we have in killing our brother? Rather, we should sell him. But even though it looked like a virtuous thing, Still, it's considered negative, as Rashi says, because he should have said, let's return him to our father. Anybody that blesses you and says, look, he was so virtuous, that's considered blaspheming. About him it says, 
the Yehuda that he said, Ma betza, berech, you bless him, the etz Hashem, that's a blaspheming Hashem. Okay, third opinion in the Tosefta regarding Psharab. Yeshua ben Korcha Omer, mitzvah libtso, it's a mitzvah to make a Psharab a compromise until the verdict has been reached. Shenemar, like the Pasuk tells us in Zechariah, emet umishpat shalom shiftu bisharechem. So it says, truth and justice of peace shall be judged in your gates. Ve'alog makom she'esh mishpat in shalom. Now, logically, these are contradictory terminologies. Ve'makom she'esh shalom in mishpat. Shalom implies compromise. Mishpat implies ikaradin. So, mishpat she'esh bo shalom. What is mishpat that has peace with it? Ve'omer zevitzua, that refers to compromise. Ve'chem b'davido, omer like David, it says, ve'yi davido osem mishpat v'tztaka, David used to make mishpat and tztaka. Ve'alog kol makom she'esh mishpat in tztaka. These are contradictory terminologies. What did David HaMelech do? Means he would do a mishpat with, with righteous, with charity, which was compromise. Now back to the Tanakhama. How does the Tanakhama explain this verse by David HaMelech? Now the Tanakhama here really means to make a pshara. So atan the Tanakhama, he explains like this. That if you judge a, a court case, and you make innocent the one who is innocent, and guilty the guilty party, and he saw that in doing so he made a poor man liable to pay money. So in order to make it up, the judge went and paid him back <clears throat> from his own house. This is an example of Mishpat Lazet's justice for the one who received the money he needed, but it's charity for the poor man. So the one who needed to be paid back was paid back. But it's considered staka for the poor man because he received back his money. So he helped out the poor man that he got back what he needed. The Rebbe, Rebbe didn't appreciate this pshat because it shouldn't have said for all of his nation, but it should have said David did it for the poor people. So Rebbe says, no, the pshat in the pasuk is, even though he didn't pay back the poor man, but it's still mishpat. Why? It's charity for the poor, for the for the person who had to pay back. Why? So it's mishpat for the one who received the money because he got his money back. But it's charity for the other because he re- removed the thievery from under his hand. Now the fourth shita in the Tosef is Rabbi Shimon ben Two people came in front of you to be judged. And before you heard their arguments. Or if you already heard their arguments, you don't know which way it's going, you could say them, go and make a compromise. When you hear their arguments, and you know which way the case is going to go, you can't tell them, go make a compromise. Because the Pasuk tells us in Mishlei, in order to release the water, means release the dispute, get rid of it, throw it out, put it out of court and make a compromise, it has to be in the beginning of the court case. And before the matter is revealed, the dispute is revealed, then you could abandon. Which means, before it's revealed, you could abandon it. But once it's been revealed, you're not allowed to abandon and make up shara. Continues the Tosefta in a similar note. Amar Shnaim Shabau, this is Rabbi Yeshua ben Lakish Omer. Rabbi Yeshua ben Lakish Omer. Two people came to court. One is uh, easygoing and one is difficult. Before you heard their words, you don't know which way it's going. You could say to them, I'm not going to get involved with you. I don't want to deal with you because I don't want the guy who's rough to, to give me a hard time. Because this guy who you could make liable might bother you afterwards. But once you hear it, you know where the court case would lean. You can't say to them, I'm not going to deal with you. Like the Pasuk says, You can't be scared of any man. You can't fear him. You have to do as you're supposed to. Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha, Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha said another pshat in that Pasuk. If a student sitting in front of his mat is Rebbe, and he saw some sort of a merit for the poor man and liability for the Rich man, it says, He can't be scared of any man, he's referring to his Rebbe. He has to speak up. Rabbi Chanin explains, Don't withhold your words in front of your Rebbe. 
And similarly, the Tosefta finishes off, The witnesses should know they're testifying about Hashem, because the litigants are like Hashem in this sense. In front of who they're testifying, and in the future, who's going to pay them back if they testify falsely? Like it says, The witnesses stand in front of Hashem. And also the judges need to know who they're te- judging. Meaning they're judging And who they're judging in front of them. And who's going to pay them back? Like it says, Hashem stands in the judge's presence. Like it says, he said to the judges, See what you're doing? Because you're not judging men, but rather you're judging HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So a judge might say, I don't want this pain. Hashem is with you in your heart, meaning he'll know what you're doing. You paskin based on how it seems to be in front of your eyes. As long as you have the right intention, it's going to be fine. You're not going to end up getting hit. That's the, that's the end of the Tosefta. Continues the Gemara. Hechi dami gemar din. Hechi dami gemar din. What is the example of gemar din? What is the example of conclusion of din? This is the Tanakama's opinion. The Tanakama held that if there's been a gemar din, the judges can no longer make a compromise. So what is that, what is that point in judgment?